Dr. Steve Freeman has a PhD in organization studies from MIT's Sloan School of Management. He's a visiting scholar at the University of Pennsylvania Center for Organizational Dynamics, where he teaches research methods and survey design, a domain that includes polling. He has received four national awards for Best Research Paper of the Year on four different topics in three different fields. More recently, Dr. Freeman authored, Was the 2004 Presidential Election Stolen? Exit Polls, Election Fraud, and The Official Count. We've been looking forward to having him on Radio Parallax for some time. We could finally say, Dr. Steve Freeman, welcome to Radio Parallax. It's great to be here. We've been covering on this show uh, this issue of computers, election fraud, and what has happened in some recent presidential elections. You and a number of people have written some papers about that. Can we, can we backtrack a little bit to where, what, what, uh, what you've done in the past? Yeah, the book really centers on the 2004 election. Um, the 2000 election, just to remind listeners, was, you know, we have no evidence that that election had dramatically flawed results throughout the country, but um, in the state in which the election was decided, Florida, there was just one travesty against democracy after another. 2000, first there was uh, voters being scrubbed off the rolls. I mean, uh, the first point really that is, is probably worth making to people is that in Florida and several other states in the country, mostly in the former co- Confederacy, felons are disenfranchised for life. That means anybody who's committed sometimes, sometimes even just a small use of recreational drugs can result in a felony and people lose the right to vote for life. And it may not sound like a big deal to have felons disenfranchised, but as it turns out, it's 7% of the Florida voting age population, and one-third of all African-American males are legally disenfranchised. That not being enough in the 2000 election, an additional 80,000 people were illegally scrubbed from the voting rolls because they happened to have the same name as somebody who committed a felony somewhere in the country. Well over 50% of those were African Americans who had voted Democrat over 9 to 1. So there were those things. In addition to that, there's much evidence of a corrupted count throughout the state, and then just uh, a stopping of the count in the end. There were ballots that were probably intentionally misdesigned, and all told, even despite all the problems with vote suppression and people being illegally knocked off the rolls, had the votes been counted as cast, Gore would have won that election quite easily, well over 20,000 votes, which is a story that has hardly been reported, but that is a fact, and it's really an indisputable fact. We've reported on it here and hope to continue to do so because uh, George Bush still is president. Well, yes, he's, he's, he still is filling that office. <laughs> Can you talk about 2002 before we did a 2004? Because there were some discrepancies there as well. There were some shocking results in 2002. Uh, 2002 saw the introduction of electronic voting. Now, electronic voting, finally, people are becoming more aware of it. But it's, I mean, the mere fact that this electronic voting exists is an indictment of the system. Basically what happens is you go into a voting machine, you push a button, something happens within a million lines of proprietary code, and a vote gets recorded. Or not. And it may not be, or it may get recorded for the uh, uh, a candidate other than whom you voted for. And we have no way of knowing. 
a way to think about this in India in the early days of democracy when there was still, well, there still is a caste system, but a lot of resistance on the part of the upper castes to a democratically elected government. And what would happen in many of the villages is that the Brahmins didn't let the untouchables, the lowest caste, actually cast a vote. Rather, they would have the untouchable tell them who they wanted to vote for, and they would secretly record this vote. And, of course, we can see the problems with that system. The (laughs) Brahmin may not have heard the untouchable correctly, or he may have made a mistake, or he may have had different interests and, and wrote that vote down differently. Basically, we're in a situation in this country where 99% of the American population is being treated as an untouchable. We have no way of knowing how those votes are. It's trivially easy for these companies to produce whatever results they want, and we don't know what's happened. And there's no way to go back and look at it either because there's no paper trail. And even when we have incredibly suspect results, nobody's been willing to allow those machines to get opened up and examined. In 2002, the introduction of electronic voting, there were five big surprise Republican victories that allowed them to retake control of the Senate and win a couple of governor's races that were just astounding because in Georgia, for example, the first state that went completely electronic, the Democratic governor was ahead by over 11 percentage points in the polls, and he subsequently lost by five. Uh, The senator in that state... Max Cleland, triple amputee, decorated war hero, was accused of being non-patriotic by his Republican adversary, despite being ahead by seven percentage points in the polls, lost by five. So we saw these kind of things around the country, those just being only two of the most extreme. As a, as a scientist specializing in, uh, in computers and how things are counted, these swings of 12% or 15%, this exceeds what we saw in, in the Ukrainian fraudulent election. This is something that's uh, statistically a million-to-one shot, is it not? Right. It was just incredibly ironic, November 2004, that at the same time there was an exit poll discrepancy in the Ukraine, halfway around the world, it was treated as evidence of a fraudulent election. And the Republican Republican uh, ambassadors there, members of the State Department and Senator Richard Lugar, head of the Foreign Relations Committee, were there saying saying as such that the exit polls exit polls prove fraud. Deputy Secretary of State testified that they paid for those exit polls in order to ascertain the integrity of the election, saying that otherwise it's very difficult to prove mass scale fraud. We had an election here of almost identical proportions. In both cases, an incumbent won the official count by a few percentage points and lost the exit polls by several percentage points. There it's treated as fraud. Here at the same time they're saying it's evidence of fraud there. Uh, The chairman of the Republican National Committee is saying, well, we shouldn't even have exit polls in the future because they just don't work. (laughs) But in fact, they have been used for purposes of election verification throughout the world. Until 1980, the worry about exit polls was that they were too accurate in terms of allowing the press to to know who won the election before the polls actually closed. And believe me, since 1980, exit polls, technology and methodologies have not gotten worse. But like any other technical procedure, they've gotten considerably better over time.
Well, Dr. Freeman, things have not gotten much better. It sounds like in 2006 election, you, you have a current letter out requesting that the U.S. House of Representatives investigate what's going on in Florida. What's, what's that all about? In Florida, in one case, the more famous one in Sarasota, there are 18,000 missing votes, again, using electronic voting machines. In this particular race, there are four counties. The three Republican counties had approximately 2% of voters abstaining from the from the congressional race in the one democratic county in the congressional district sarasota eighteen percent of voters supposedly did not cast a vote for for congress um, despite had had they voted in the same proportions as other people in the county the democrat would have won that seat um, we can through calculations infer based on the precincts in which the votes are missing that had those votes been counted, the Democrat would be seated. So even under these circumstances, the judges there have refused to allow inspection of the voting machines. So we're asking, we've asked the House Administration Committee to look into it. That's one, one race. That race they have accepted. They so far have seemed to have turned down several other races, one of which is a race with Tom Feeney, who came to national fame in 2000 when he declared that he was going to award the seats. He was Speaker of the House of Representatives, the Florida House of Representatives, in, in November 2000, and he declared that regardless of how Floridians voted, he was going to award the electoral votes to George Bush. Subsequently, there have been allegations of him, including a signed affidavit and te testimony before Congress, that he approached a computer consulting firm in South Florida to develop technology that would allow the votes to be altered. In his race, the challenger has been suspect of the results, and he went in some precincts door-to-door -door asking voters to sign an affidavit who they voted for. And in many of these precincts, there have been more people signing affidavits saying that, he, that they voted for him then there are votes on his behalf, which, of course, is an impossibility. So we've asked uh, Congress to look into that. So far, they have declined. Is this definitive at this point, or is there still a possibility they will look into it? I, I'm not sure of the procedures there. Um, I, I don't know. It looks as though they're not going to look into it, at least the House Administration Committee that has jurisdiction over it. But, you know, we'll keep pressing on this issue. It's... Uh, it's just astounding. Basically, what we have is a system where elections have been privatized. And basically, we're not electing our representatives anymore, Diebold than the other voting companies are. And even under these very suspect circumstances, courts and Congress themselves have been unwilling to, to challenge that arrangement. Well, it's an important issue. The 2008 election is 18 months away. We hope that you can come back in a few months and give us some updates as to how things are proceeding in this area to try and uh, get more accurate voting counts. Well, we're certainly doing our best. We, uh, we do urge the, your listeners to get involved. This is, this is one issue that you cannot trust, uh, trust the politicians to take care of, that there is no way to evidence. There's no way to change the system without a mass public showing of disapproval for the system because incumbents are happy with the system as is. It basically ensures they can, they can get reelected no matter what. 
So we do ask that your listeners look at our website, electionintegrity.org, read my book or some of my papers, which are on the web, to become more familiar with, with what has been happening as far as democracy goes in America. And uh, to whatever degree possible, please get involved. Very good. His most recent book was the 2004 presidential election stolen, exit polls, election fraud, and the official count. We've been speaking with Dr. Steve Freeman, and we expect to have him back on again. Thanks very much for speaking with us, Dr. Freeman. Great. Thanks for having me. Freedom of choice. When we spoke with Chris Hedges, the New York Times, a few weeks back about his book, American Fascists, we had a couple of questions left over regarding his essay that appeared in Christina Borgeson's book, Feet to the Fire, the Media After September 11th. In his essay, titled, We're Not Mother Teresa's, Chris Hedges had some startling things to say about what he observed in the Middle East. Can you reiterate uh, what you witnessed and documented for Harper's Magazine uh, for the, their October 2001 issue in regards to the, um, what you saw Israeli troops do to the Gaza refugees at, uh, at, at the camp? Yes. I was, uh, spent 10 days along with the uh, graphic artist and cartoonist Joe Sacco chronicling life in uh, probably one of the most depressing refugee camps in Gaza called Hanayunis. And the first day that we got there, the, the, it is the, the, the camp was surrounded at the time by a horseshoe-shaped fence. And on the other side of the fence was um, a Jewish settlement. You could look through the fence and see the lawns and the people with the lawnmowers and the sprinklers. Meanwhile, those in the camps didn't have running water. Um, and oftentimes, from the other side of the electric fence, uh, Israeli soldiers with loudspeakers on their jeeps would... Uh, in Arabic, taunt and curse kids who would be playing in the sand dunes, um, you know, using swear words. And, um, and uh, these kids would then pick up rocks and start throwing them towards these jeeps. Uh, we're talking about 10, 11, 12-year-old boys. And the Israeli soldiers would fire upon those kids. Uh, this was an almost daily occurrence when I was there. And, uh, of course, when I first heard about it, uh, I, I went to the edge of the camp and watched it. I watched it se over several more days, yet these young kids being shot. You know, I listened to the uh, uh, soldiers uh, over the loudspeaker on the Jeep scream to the kids in Arabic, ta'al, ta'al, which means come, or, you know, ibn charbuta, which is a curse word in Arabic and this kind of stuff. And, um, and then I would, after the kids were shot, I went to the hospitals to visit them, uh, or in a few cases went to their funerals. Um, and was very careful about getting, you know, the dates, times, names, locations, uh, where they were wounded, uh, and put this in my story, and of course uh, caused quite a stir. I was attacked roundly by the Israeli lobby in the United States, who did things like claim that I wasn't there. When they tried to do that on television, we got the Harper's lawyer to threaten to sue them, and they printed a retraction. I mean, but it was really a form of character assassination. Um, they never disputed because they couldn't. Uh, the events, because the fact is, it was too well reported. I, I had the, the, you know, the days these the days and times these kids were shot, their names, you know, where the wounds were. It was the, the I think it was in the details of the reporting um, that uh, was so unassailable, and so they turned to that old trick of essentially defaming the person who wrote it. 
Well, the U.S. government, of course, has a very pro-Israeli foreign policy. Can you talk just a bit about how, how the Bush administration's foreign policy has really blended with the agenda of, of the Israeli right wing? Very much so. But, you know, they're, they're the Israeli right wing in power in Israel is in many ways the mirror image of the Bush administration. There's been built an alliance between Messianic Christians and the radical Christian right and Messianic Jews uh, in Israel who and in the United States who believe that they have been given either a moral or divine right to control the lives of the Arab world and, and perhaps one-fifth of the world's population who are Muslim. And that has built this strange alliance between members of the Christian right who come out of a long tradition of anti-Semitism uh, but have seen in this marriage of a convenience the right to reshape the Middle East according to their own twisted vision. And that, of course, is uh, a major contributing factor to the war in Iraq. It, it led to the Bush administration's support for this disastrous uh, and brutal uh, and inexcusable bombing of Lebanon by Israel, uh, and of course is one of the engines that is propelling us towards uh, striking Iran. Chris Hedges has been a foreign correspondent for 17 years. He joined the staff of the New York Times in 1990 and previously worked for the Dallas Morning News, the Christian Science Monitor, and National Public Radio. His book, American Fascists, The Christian Right and the War in America, uh, was something he spoke with us recently about. We thank you for rejoining us in the program, Chris Hedges. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break. Yeah. 